RadioInfluence.com. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. everybody. Hey, welcome to Crush Performance. Jeff Rochelle here, the calm man behind the glass. We're your weekly source for performance information. Listen, everybody, uh, we're kicking off November with a bang here. So get in touch with us. Crushperformance.com is our website. If you have a topic or an idea or a comment on today's show, you can get to us there. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on social media platforms, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, you can search out Crush Performance and get in on the action there for sure. And of course, the uh, text line in studio here is 101260. So if you want to get in on the action uh, with your questions, comments, or smart remarks, 101260, do so for sure. Uh, today, we're going to kick it off. We're really, really excited to have our good friend Manny Schmidt from Link Management International in studio here, certified player agent with the NHL. Manny, thanks for coming in today, my man. Excellent. It's great to be here. This has uh, been a long time since we've been in the studio, so good to be in studio with you. Well, I'm excited for this conversation, and Conman, how are you doing, my good friend? Did you have a good Halloween? Uh, Yeah, yeah. We're not uh, not quite done with the festivities. One Uh, more thing to get to tonight. We've got the Bears Halloween Howler, and uh, once we wrap that one up, it'll be done. But the Halloween's been great. How about you guys? Yeah, good. No, mine was great. I actually was, I wasn't home for Halloween, unfortunately. I was down in Vauxhall this week with the uh, Baseball Academy, just getting those guys set up for the offseason. Fun stuff. I love this time of the year when it comes to our off-season athletes. Uh, so it's fun to see those guys. But I uh, did a, a, a stopover in Calgary on my way home, and we scared some kids, man. It was <laughs> awesome. Awesome. It was friendly scares, but, you know, you get the older kids who are just a little, just a little, just right there for the pickings. It was awesome fun. How I love Halloween. It's amazing how the definition and what you do with Halloween changes so dramatically from when you're young to when you get uh, to get to our age. Right? Like, <laughs> it is, isn't it? Oh, so great. So great. But today, everybody, we are going to be uh, talking performance pathways and that's why i'm so glad manny's in in studio here we're going to talk about where you need to be in certain times of your development what are the right decisions to make as a player as a parent as a coach um, as an organization there are certain things you need to consider and there's a lot of different options out there there's no one recipe for success in sport. We're going to talk about that. Where do those opportunities lie? We're going to talk about the high school avenues. We're going to talk about college, which is better. Is it better to get in early and sign out of high school if you can, if you can create that opportunity? Or is it better to sit back and go to school, get a little more experience and mature a little bit? And then when it comes to developing talent, there are strategies out there that are just really, really effective. And what we know now about the acquisition of skills and the progression of long-term talent development, these strategies are critical. And if you're not doing them, or if your coaches don't have an environment where this is happening, uh, this could be a huge, huge switchover for anybody uh, who's looking to chase down a dream out there. And, and, And that dream could be anything, like a personal best. If you're chasing down a college scholarship or a travel rep team, if you're looking to make your junior high varsity team or your high school varsity team, it doesn't matter 
um, where you're at. These principles apply across the board. So we're going to talk about that as well. We're also going to talk about MLB um, contracting, potentially talking about shifting and reorganizing the minor leagues. That's going to change that performance pathway. Should NCAA athletes get paid? We'll talk about that. That will be our text question of today. Uh, but so much going on coming off of the World Series. Manny, I'm telling you what, I know uh, you're, you're, a base, you're a sports fan on top of everything uh, with your hockey guys, but uh, what a fantastic postseason and incredible baseball season once again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, you always hope for a great sport event. But you always want to, you're also, you know, subtly hoping for those unique stories and the unique things that just raise, elevate the, uh, the intrigue of the, of a big event like that. And, and you got it all. I mean, it's just to go six games where the way team wins every, every game. And then you go to the game seven. Of course, a game seven in any sport is just, uh, it's, you know, what dreams are made of. And so, yeah, it, uh, it was a fantastic event. Yeah. I loved watching the pitching. Connor, I know you were watching as well, though you're, beloved Blue Jays were way, way off in the distance. Uh, for baseball in yeah. general, I thought this was a pretty good World Series, though it sounds like the TV ratings were down a little bit. I think the fan intrigue was as high as it's ever been. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, I, maybe just with the Nationals, not the biggest fan base. You, you know, you got to lose that lure of the uh, the Yankees or the Dodgers. I think Major League Baseball might have preferred that matchup had they had their choice. But I, I thought it was thrilling. The the road teams finding ways to pick up the wins throughout the series. It was a it was a great matchup. Yeah, a lot to learn there too. We're going to talk about this uh, later in the month as we start getting the numbers from this last baseball season. But baseball again is continuing to baffle us in terms of how quickly it's changing right before our eyes. And we are going to talk more about the Astros. They're probably one of our top teams in baseball to watch probably in sport they're a top five team in sport because as of 2011 they uh, got new ownership and it was a deliberate assault on performance Manny and to see where they have come in this short of time and the steps they've taken to get there fits right into the theme of our show which is performance pathways this is an organizational assault on performance and it's fantastic they're not just strong right now they look like they could be strong for years and years and years to come. Yeah, I think you're seeing slowly a a cultural shift, a shift taking place in in sports that uh, where there's a balance between must win now and wanting to stay at a competitive level at the elite level long term. And how do you how do you achieve that balance? And so I think you're starting to see organizations invest a lot more time, energy, dollars into long-term sustainable success versus just going through the cycle of one-ups all the time. Yeah, and we talk about the technology, and Connor and I talked about this last week, the influence of technology on sport and and performance. Uh, but the technology from the organizational standpoint is right there as well, and nowhere more than in the data and analytics sector, right? I mean, uh, there are full-blown staffs now in every single sport that are solely dedicated to analyzing, accumulating, and assessing data yeah. and calculating performance. And we're going to talk about this later in the in the fall here as well. But that's a really, really game changer in sport all around. Yeah, you know, I think that as much and as far as that has come, I still think that in many ways we're just at the tip of the iceberg on yeah. that. I think that what you're going to find is a dedicated effort to get below what I would say the waterline and, and how do we measure some of the intangibles and make intangible tangible? 
Um, I think that's where you're going to sort of see the next wave of analytics going is because that's one argument in hockey has been for so long is, well, you can't, you can't measure the intangible, but I think people are really investing a lot of time into saying, okay, how, how do we try to measure some of those intangibles? And if we can ever harness that, now analytics goes to a completely new level. Yeah, no question about it. Hey, so that takes us to our text question of the day, everybody. 10, 12, 60, write to us. Um, it's going to look at, uh, you know, the pathways that we're talking about. We now see the NCAA being in college hockey, college sports in general, really starting to dominate those sports that were typically sort of self-developing hockey and baseball. We know that the NCAA is a pathway for the NBA. It is the pathway for the NFL. And it is now becoming more commonplace, I believe, to see players going through that college route to professional hockey. Certainly, it's being even encouraged now in baseball. So, with all the news that's been breaking on the NCAA, and we'll talk about this in the third segment today, everybody, should student-athletes get paid? And Manny will talk about this later. How is that going to change the landscape for developmental athletes? So the text question of the day. Yes or no, everybody? Should student-athletes get paid? Well, let's talk about this, Manny. You know, we look at those intangibles, and we look at trying to evaluate players coming into an organization, but I think people truly underestimate the power of the environment that we're creating for those athletes at every single level. I mean, in youth sport, we don't need to talk about this today because in youth sport, it's a disaster right now. We know the early specialization, the injury rates, the dropout rates, the cost of sport is all deterring uh, a lot of really, really critical development where I don't think we're getting the best talent anymore. I really don't. And there's an argument to be made that we might be destroying more talent than we're creating right now. And I think I could say that with pretty good confidence, but to overcome that and set things straight, um, it does take a long-term approach. And when we talk about these teams investing uh, money into analytics, it has a lot to do with their new focus on player development. Correct. Which isn't a new thing, but all of a sudden we're seeing an emphasis on it. I wonder why it's taken so long. Well, I think part of it is is that the word and the phrase player development and athlete development has been around a long time. But I think what we are finding is the definition and the adoption of that is starting to become clarified and is taking on a new meaning and a new definition. Um, and I think that's what you're starting to see is, is a true understanding of what long-term athlete development and ultimately long-term organizational success, organizational development, where, where that's going. And um, I think the it's going down just a, a significant level in terms of the specific elements that are tied to that, the, you know, the understanding of what that means. Organizations investing in people and technology in those areas uh, is, is exponentially uh, yep. going up. Yep. And I agree. And, and, and to be certain, um, talent development, skill development, player development, athlete development is never ending. Correct. It doesn't matter whether you're a 10 year veteran of the highest league in the sport, or whether you're just a young grassroots athlete coming into a system, um, the, the developmental pathway is never ending. Yeah. And now it comes to the environment that you're in and the choices you have to make to get the best out of it or the most out of it. And if there's one thing we can say here that's critical, especially in the early years of development, Fun is the biggest factor. Yeah. And I can tell you this as well, working with NHL guys, pro football guys, and certainly our MLB guys, fun is as important there as it is at the grassroots. And I, I, I can tell you this for a fact because I've worked with all those guys. 
it's very serious. Don't get me wrong, because, you know, the, the pressure for having success, not necessarily winning. Winning is an outcome, I believe, of a good process. Correct. Yeah, I um, agree. But uh, the, the idea of keeping it fun can be a game changer. Yeah. And, that, and that's why, you know, a lot of guys have problems or challenges um, doing their athlete development in just isolated environments because that competitive nature, that fun side that's supposed to be part of an off season or even part of the end season um, isn't there in those cases. And so they've got to find their own way to, to create some enjoyment out of that. But I think it is, it's uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know if that's just in sport. That's almost anything is if you can find enjoyment in, in what you're doing, your success rate in that activity and that, in that element just goes up considerably so yeah so and here's a great example my daughter okay she played i coach her i've coached her soccer team for the last nine years you know where they've grown this group of girls community soccer they're just having fun you know some of them have been asked to go play club they don't want to go play club they just want to play community soccer play a few other sports over the course and they just have fun right and uh, my daughter in her music for example this is a great example of, of maybe just the human side of development uh, we were sort of in a classical music development program, and it just didn't suit her. It was buy the book, play your scales, da, 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 which is a good, like it works, don't get me wrong, but maybe it works for a certain type of personality, certain type, but uh, she just wasn't enjoying it. And when you're not enjoying it, I, she just wasn't getting. And then we found this other really cool cat, man, that teaches guitar, piano, and everything. So she picked up a guitar and started working with this new instrument. And she, we're sitting around the campfire now, it is rock and roll nation, man. <laughs> it is so much fun. But when she was allowed to go do things, one, she was interested in the music she was interested in. But when she was having fun doing it, I could not believe how quickly she accelerated in her learning. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that we see so often is, you know, how organizations um, and teams completely switch when you change leadership at the top. And you wonder, well, how could that be? You didn't really change a lot underneath it. You didn't. But I think part of it is you excel when you're enjoying it, when you enjoy going to the rink, when you enjoy going to the ball diamond, when you enjoy that process and it doesn't become a task you know, that's when all of a sudden you find you're able to do things that you weren't able to do previously. Yeah, we're joined in studio by Manny Schmidt, certified NHL player agent and founder of Link Management International on Crush Performance here today. We can maybe talk about the Oilers here. Oilers yep. are our number one team to watch in hockey, our number three team to watch in all of sport right now. The turnaround this team has had is fantastic. Not a lot. Well, some key changes on the player side, but mostly on the administrative side. They've changed the environment there for sure. We could talk about the Washington Nationals. Well, on this topic, we have to coming off of the World Series because in the first third of the season, not quite even the first third, they were the worst team in baseball. Yep. GM comes in, gets the staff together. Guys, we got to change this around. And they, again, sat down collectively, said we got to change our environment. They went to work. They started taking infield. They started taking ground balls, real deliberate batting practice. The infield, outfield work was very, very deliberate. And the guys were working together towards a common goal. It doesn't necessarily mean success breeds success, though that really happens. But when you get a group of people working towards a goal through maybe even adversity, when you're making a little bit of progress, sometimes that's the most fun of all. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, you know... I look at, we recently read a, um, read a study and I can't, I can't remember the name of it here now, but it was, um, 
it was uh, through the military and you had uh, what they showed is it was a focus on leadership and how groups are led from the top. And uh, they had two boat teams. Um, one team was just absolutely superior. They dominated every single, uh, every single um, time they were out there. Um, and the other team was consistently almost finishing last. Um, and so the organization decided, well, let's try something out. And what they did is the only thing they switched was the boat captain off, off of both teams. Um, the top guy went into the last place boat and the last place guy went into the top boat. So what do you think happens? Well, just within uh, the next uh, two races later, um, the team that was last was now in the middle of the pack. And by the fifth race, it was a com- complete switch the last team that had never won anything now was consistently winning. The only change that was made was in terms of how the group was being led, how they responded to each other. And to me, that's a great example of sometimes you got to look inside and say, how do we tweak things instead of trying to, you know, change dramatically? How do you change some of the small things? What are we doing wrong, you know, instinctively? I love it. Hey, listen, we got to cut out for a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about performance pathways. Uh, Some great data you posted or a couple great stories you posted from the Hockey News looking at hockey factories going through the NCAA, going through um, college or going into the junior ranks out of high school right in our conversation today. Uh, Let's get to that. And let's also talk about competition versus training through the years of development. A very, very important conversation. Uh, Coming up right after this on Crush Performance, everybody stick around. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Crush Performance. Jeff Grishel here, the con man behind the glass. Reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. We answer every single message that we get, especially on our emails. And if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, or if you think you might need some help, on a question or a issue that you're having, let us know. If we don't have the answer, here's what I can promise you. We know somebody that has the answer or will lead us down the path to that answer. And that's why we're here to help you achieve your goals on social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, search out Crush Performance. Twitter's at Jeff Crush. Okay, in studio, we're joined by our good friend, Manny Schmidt from Link Management. Manny, again, thanks for coming in. Hey, it's always great to be here with you, Jeff. All right, our text question of the day. Should student athletes get paid? We're going to talk about that next segment. Let us know what you guys think. 10-12-60 is the text line. Should student athletes get paid? A bunch of groundbreaking decisions and laws and rule changes made this last month. And I think it bodes well for those athletes and it could change the landscape of collegiate sports. So Manny, one of the reasons that, that I reached out to you here this last month is you posted a link to uh, a, a couple really, really interesting articles from the Hockey News. And they were titled Hockey Factories. And yep. it was a short miniseries. And one looked at the power of the NCAA and the schools who are producing next-level players, professional players, which I thought was fascinating. The second part of it was looking at the major junior leagues and the major junior route, which is a totally different animal. So let's start there. When we talk about the developmental pathways, there comes a time after high school when an athlete has chosen, let's say, the game of hockey here to play and chase down the dream of going as far as they could possibly go. Because remember this, everybody, we say this on the show all the time, we don't know how good you can become 
until you go through a good process. Right. And that's the honest truth. And so we don't want people getting discouraged. We don't want to get people too encouraged either because that can work as against you as being discouraged. Just stay in the wheelhouse. Understand where you are. But most importantly, Manny, and maybe where the grayest area is, knowing where you should go. Yeah, that, uh, that's always the million-dollar question when we talk to families, when we talk to players at young ages, is, well, what direction is the right direction? And the real, the answer to that is there isn't a right direction. Um, depends on the athlete. Uh, and I think early in, uh, in the show here today, you, you, know, you mentioned something that I think couldn't be stated any better, is there is no one right way. Um, every situation is going to be unique, um, and, you know, even these articles that we were that you were referencing uh, indicate that um, there is success both ways. It really comes down to evaluating. And, you know, we look at various uh, different variables and situations, uh, circumstances uh, on a personalized basis with our players and families. And we have to assess it that way. So I think that to me is the key key thing is, yeah, we have success going the NCAA route. We have success going the major junior route. But what is right for the player ultimately boils down to what is right for that player. Yeah, and there's so many uh, variables that will impact when the athlete arrives at that point and then deciding which way is the best, uh, I guess, option, the best choice for that young athlete. So let's talk about this. I thought this was a fantastic article looking at the hockey factories. Let's go to the major junior. They're looking at, you know, the CHL, WHL, I think, and... um, looking at the number of players who've gone to the NHL from the top 60 major junior teams. And I thought this was a pretty just cool experiment. Now, if you're a young player who's decided to go that route, and again, I know there's no cookie cutter, but what would be some of the reasons a a young player would pick going this route, the major junior, over an NCAA? Is there there major things that you've seen in your experience? Yeah, I think... The, the big the big things that you will hear all the time on the major junior side is, is that it most reflects the um, the power the the lifestyle and the schedule of a pro schedule of a pro career right so they play throughout the week they play uh, the same amount of games typically you know as close to the the American League or the NHL um, so it mimics the the pro environment more closely. To me, so that would be one. Um, the other they would say, you know, that we you hear often or that you can use is that depending upon where the the player is in their development, that the pathway to the NHL um, or the that highest level is quicker through major junior versus the NCAA. Uh-huh. Um, now, the reality is, it, it almost has to be though because you're done major junior at twenty. Um, where a lot of your collegiate players are playing to 21, 22, 23, 24 even, um, which expands their window. So again, if a player is, is on, a, on a faster path and their development curve is, is further along, um, absolutely, the, the major junior path may make a lot more sense. Um, so you know, those are some of the things that we would hear on the major junior side. Uh, it's pretty interesting. They rank the top teams and they've kind of given scores here based on the number of players that 
teams have sent to the NHL. So number 60 was the Oil Kings. And then number one, would if you go down the list, which is pretty interesting to read on each of these teams, it's actually very interesting. Even if you're just a fan of the game, yeah. if you're a young player trying to understand the landscape, I think this is a real cool read. You have number two, Kelowna Rockets, and then the London Knights uh, being number one in the major junior for pushing players on to the NHL. So when you're a young player entering the WHL, I know you're sort of at the mercy of what happens out there. You don't always get to pick where you go, but um, um, how important is it to make, well, to find the right team? Yeah. <laughs> and you sort of put me into a corner here where you're going to get me into trouble. Um, no, because but, it, uh, but, but no, the reality is yeah. you're right. Is that, um, this, whatever pathway you decide, whether it's major, junior, or college, or whatever, um, it is part of a process to an ultimate goal. And so as, as an advisor, do we look at statistics like this and are become and stay very familiar with it? Absolutely we do. And do we have those discussions and say it would be better for our player to be in Team X, Y, or Z. Absolutely. Those are discussions that have to happen. Right. And to cut you off here, though, uh, because this is actually pretty interesting, there's a lot of variables that go into that decision. Because it's not necessarily the team that produces the most NHL players. If you're a a right winger, for example, and you're a certain age, and you look at the depth of a team, or you look at maybe the location of a team, or even maybe the league the team is in. Correct. um, All those come into play, and that's where having some sound advice uh, can be really helpful. Well, even positional direction. So we would take a look at, um, you have a defenseman, what teams have had a propensity to to put out defensemen, not just general NHL players, but what have they been strong in positional development versus just general development? Um, so location, exposure, development, all of those things become part of the decision-making process. And frankly, yeah, is there situations where um, you get drafted by a team that you know might not fit that style from a coaching perspective or whatever else? Could that dictate whether you decide to go the collegiate route? Absolutely, that might be one of the decisions. Because here in, in Western in Western Canada, the players get you know they get drafted at 15 years old, so you know that still then provides the opportunity to evaluate what is the right direction to go based on the options that are on the table. We're joined in studio today by Manny Schmidt, the founder of Link Management International, certified NHL agent. Well, let's switch to that other route now. Let's talk about the NCAA route. I mean, the number one, um, well, this one's a little bit different uh, because they have tied for 52. Arizona State is number 52 in terms of schools. If you go all the way down to number one in the top two or three, um, Michigan and Wisconsin. I mean, pretty interesting. Uh, but going the school route, that's a totally different decision and a very, very different conversation. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, but it, it all it all ties together so sure. you know so cleanly, right? Because I mean, one one of the things that we off we will almost always ask ourselves is where will that player be at the age of twenty? Okay, and that that all ultimately dictates a lot of it. Is you know where will that player be at twenty? Because at twenty, playing Western Junior. You either, you know, if you're not drafted, if you're not um, already, you know, moved into pro, then now you've got a choice of going, you have to make a decision of uh, East Coast League, you know, hopefully the American League, or you're going CIS and going back to school. And again, if you look at the numbers, it's improving a little bit. 
but there isn't as many players coming out of the NC or CIS or U sports programs as there is out of the NCAA. So if a player may not be ready for pro by 20, to me, then it definitely makes sense to go collegiate. Yeah, and to be clear, that's not the end of the road. If you're not right. ready by 20, that's just where you happen to be at that time. Some guys are ready before 20. Yeah. Some guys aren't ready till 21, 22, 23. Or sometimes we've seen guys in the NHL right now who weren't ready till much later than that. Yeah. No, and I, and I think there's two ways to take a look at this, Jeff. One is um, in, in evaluating relative to a pro path, Okay. I want to get to the NHL. What's my path to get there? Absolutely. Now let's evaluate that. And, and hopefully that player has the, the combination of skill, mental toughness, all the other attributes that puts them on that path. But the other side of it is, what are you coming out of if you don't go pro, right? To me, that's got to be as big of a question as anything else. Because keep in mind, there are only you know 700 plus males on the planet playing at the NHL level. Right. So you're trying to become one of 700 people on this planet to play at the highest level. So you, we're not talking about huge odds here. We're talking that's the goal, but how are we utilizing what you're doing, where you're playing to get life success, not just sports success. And so to me, that's got to be. And so when you talk about college, when you talk about, um, when you talk about uh, major junior, um, if you're guaranteed, you know, you're at that level, you're guaranteed to get a, a collegiate scholarship. Okay. That might make sense, but I've seen lots of families where they, oh, I'm going to get a college scholarship. I'm going to get a college scholarships. Well, those aren't a dime a dozen either anymore. Those are tougher to get. And so the worst case scenario is, is you don't get your, you don't get your major junior scholarship and you don't get a, a scholarship down South. And now you've you know invested all this money, all this time, and you come out almost with nothing, right? Yep. Yep, interesting. No, it's a fantastic conversation. Listen, why don't we cut off for a quick break? We'll spend a lot of time on this uh, after the break. We'll talk about the tides of change here because an interesting factor in that, the scholarship side, is now the potential for athletes earning their own money based on their likeness, using their likeness for endorsements and sponsorships. That could change the scholarship landscape and also the decision of going pro or going through school. Yeah, that that has potential to be a game changer. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that right after, and we will also discuss the potential contraction of the minor leagues in baseball. That's going to change the baseball landscape. So some really cool stuff coming up right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around, everybody. If you have any performance questions, comments, or smart remarks, text Crusher at 10-12-60 and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, here he is, the Crusher. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Jeff Crushell, the con man. And we're joined in studio today by our good friend, Manny Schmidt from Link Management International. Manny, again, thanks for coming in studio today. Absolutely. Anytime. Hey, fantastic conversation so far as we discuss the idea and concept of performance pathways, because there are certain phases of development. We know through uh, the growth of an athlete right from zero to six years of age and upwards, uh, critical windows of development that have to be capitalized on. And then once an older athlete decides that they want to chase down a sport and the windows of opportunity start to open there, whether it's collegiate, pro, whether it is um, national team or Olympic, whatever it might be, uh, there's some serious decisions that have to be made. And it's a little bit different for everybody, as we discussed. Yeah. And I think one of the things we, you know, we use the phrase performance pathways, you know, I think what we've come to learn is that, you know, 
truly what athlete development is about is phases of development. And I don't think that actually stops. It's just finding ways to maximize each one of those phases, whether you're in that young, you know, young, young age group when you should not be specializing, when you should be, um, you know, engaging in multiple sports, or whether you're already playing in the NHL or Major League Baseball or the NFL, there is still development that should be personalized, customized to you in each one of those phases. Yeah, so there's some numbers. You talked in the last segment about the odds of going pro. Yeah. As a collegiate athlete or even as a uh, major junior athlete coming out of hockey. And here's some numbers from the NCAA. The odds of a high school athlete becoming a professional athlete. So if we look at hockey, it's 1 in 595. Um, if you look at men's basketball, it's 1 in over 11,000 uh, <laughs> high school athletes. And then they got to go on to NCAA or go pro. But those are the odds for, out of high school. The odds get slightly better if you happen to work your way through a collegiate um um, program and that's interesting to me but i think it has a lot to do with the phases you talked about the maturity the development of some of those intangibles and maybe even the awareness of the some of those intangibles and once you enter a certain environment that requires you to act a certain way you're either going to adapt or you're going to disappear correct you know i think one of the there is that that small segment that are you know, they're almost guarantees, right? I mean, you see them at a young age. They just, they have everything. They're just naturally gifted. But it's that other, that other grouping that um, the, the families, the players, the, the sooner they understand that it is a journey, it is a phased program, um, the higher they increase their odds. It's when they try to achieve immediate success in short term based on a long-term, you know, a, a long-term strategy or journey that never pans out. So I was in a conversation uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, some people that I know in the performance world, and we were talking to some um, tennis families. And one tennis family goes, well, listen, I want my, I want my 12, 13-year-old tennis player, I want him training like, like the pros. Yeah. And a great comment from the coach. Listen to this, everybody. The coach sats there for a second and just takes a breather. He goes, okay, I understand, but how about we train your daughter? It was a, it was a young, young, aspiring female tennis player. Um, how about we take your daughter and train her like those professional athletes when they were 12 and 13? Yeah. How about we do that? Rather than trying to treat these young kids like they're pros already, because that's the wrong phase of training for that particular point in time for those athletes. Yeah. It, what a great response. I mean, we hear it all the time where, you know, parents start to see the gifting in their, in their athletes and their, and then no, I don't want to train with the young kids anymore. I, I want to train with the older guys. I want to train. And they always want to, you know, cue jump up to the next, you know, two or three slots up so they can train because they figured they have to. Well, it, it, that never really works. I mean, sure. You get pushed a little harder, but you increase, you increase injuries. You, there's all sorts of risks that are attached with that. So um, great comment and great response. Yeah, I thought so as well. And so we're looking at a changing landscape right now. Technology, uh, our knowledge base in terms of athlete development. Um, also, uh, the landscape's changing, as we mentioned, in terms of the availability for athletes and families to take care of business. When an athlete enters one of our programs, Manny, a crush performance program, there's three key factors that we discuss, whether it's an organization or whether it's an individual athlete themselves and their family. And one is your passion for the game, your understanding where you're at and where you can realistically go and yeah. what the goals and objectives there are. And then also the third one that gets um, 
ignored way too often and turns out to be a problem, especially with the rising cost of sport nowadays, is the financial side. Right. We have to be realistic on that side and we have to be aware of it as well. So we like to understand the passion of the player, where they're at. Do they really, really understand what it takes to go down that pathway to chase down the dream? Number two, what are the goals? Are they realistic for where that athlete is at? And again, remember what we say, everybody. We don't know how good you can get until you go into a process. The idea of that particular exercise is to make sure everybody understands and agrees with where that athlete is at at this point in time to design the best plan for moving forward but that financial side manny is so so important and often it is one of the cruxes in in talent development and in athlete development yeah three great points i mean we use sort of the same thing we look at mental toughness um, mindset mental toughness we look at um we call it the expectation gap um and then we look at um, the reality we could, you know, just life reality situations, which is finance, which is all those things. And, and it's, it's a growing concern, Jeff. It really is. I mean, I know, I personally know of families that have cashed in RRSPs that have cashed in, you know, pensions, retirement plans so that they can put kids, their, their children through programs. And so the changing landscape of where now players you know, in the NCAA side, potentially have the opportunity to make some, um, get some remuneration, uh, is a game changer. It really is. And of course, if you missed the announcement, um, we know what happened in California a few weeks back. There was a bill passed that Correct. is allowing collegiate athletes to make money while they're going to school. And thank goodness, why not? The NCAA is making billions and billions of dollars. And then there's all these. Uh, um, comments coming from parents and athletes and people who've been through these programs about, you know, the, the labor camps and, you know, that it's, you know, kind of like a form of slavery. And that was all over the news a few weeks ago. And, and that's not good for anybody when there's so much money involved. I see absolutely no problem with collegiate athletes making money if they're dedicated and working towards something and good and thank goodness. So with a couple minutes left, Manny, we have to discuss how this is going to change the landscape of deciding whether you go major junior or deciding whether you sign pro or go collegiate. Now there's another factor involved here. And that's the fact that, Hey, when I go to school, I can make some serious money. Here's a great example. Everybody, there is a young golfer at the university of Southern California who is potentially looking at a deal with Titleist right now between a three year endorsement deal through the rest of his collegiate career for between 500 and $750,000. Yeah. How about that? Hallelujah. Yeah. And that, like we talked, you know, we use the phrase game changer. It is. That's absolutely game changer. Um, I think it's a game changer for the athletes, but I also think the NCAA isn't, isn't entirely naive on this, that this can also be a game changer for them. Right? You know, you're going to get programs who are going to use this absolutely on the recruitment process. Um, they're going to be promoting the fact that they have better access to sponsors for their players and they have better access to all these different things. As a result, that's going to drive uh, decision-making as to what program you go to. Now that becomes one of the variables we look at in terms of financial returns for a player going to college. Oh boy, game changer. We are out of time, unfortunately. This right here is an entire episode conversation. We're going to pick this up again because it's fascinating. Uh, we did not get to the potential contraction of the minor leagues in baseball. Major League Baseball is talking about eliminating 42 minor league teams. That's over 1,000 players who won't be playing pro ball at the end of the 2020 season. So um, we'll get to all that next week on Crush Performance. Conman, I want to thank you. Manny, thanks you uh, for coming in studio. 
I want to thank everybody out there for listening today. Coming up next week, we will be talking about the cost of playing sport along with the idea of the endorsements in the NCAA. We'll talk to you then. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. This is a Sitting Ringside with David Penzer Quick Fix on Radio Influence. This week on Sitting Ringside, presented by ExpressVPN, on the weekend of StarCast and AEW Full Gear, we sit down with StarCast founder and podcast host extraordinaire Con Rad Thompson. How's he enjoying the Arn Anderson podcast? How much fun is a weary travel JR? If you don't know what I'm talking about, be sure to listen. Also, the lessons he's learned since the first StarCast behind the scenes of the story with The Undertaker and why WWE pulled him off of the Las Vegas StarCast and so much more. Great conversation. Is always great talking with Conrad Thompson, and this will be no different. Make sure you subscribe to City Ringside and be sure you rate and review. Sitting Ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.